All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, we're getting ready to wrap up this section, basically, which started in Matthew 21, and we are enveloping chapters 21, 22, and 23 together because it's basically dealing with two particular themes, or we can even say one primary theme as a whole. And so we basically started in chapter 21 and what we saw with the entrance of Jesus on the donkey, the presentation of the king. Thereafter, what we began to see in chapters 21 and especially in chapter 22 was the testing of Jesus by the religious leaders, the questioning of his authority and the asking of certain questions to entrap Jesus so that they can find reason to accuse him. And remember what we've been saying about this. And this goes to the second thematic point of these chapters is the testing of the lamb. All of this points back to Exodus chapter 12 as Jesus himself is the ultimate fulfillment of the Lamb of God. What did John the Baptist say? The one who takes away the sin of the world. And as Moses was commanded to take the Lamb and to have the leaders inspect the Lamb for purity, this is the similarity to what was taking place with Jesus as the leaders of his day were testing him for his own purity so that he might be also found as a lamb without spot and without blemish. And so in chapter 22, now let's go back and look at that very briefly. So in chapter 22, which was the last chapter that we dealt with, we saw there was a somewhat interruption as Jesus was pretty much giving a parable concerning invitation into the kingdom into which that the invitation to the kingdom will be taken away from that present generation of Jesus' day, specifically pointing to the rulers of the people. And that's what you have to keep in mind. Jesus is pinpointedly uh, dealing with the rulers because of their rejection of Jesus and how they also influenced and encouraged others to reject Jesus as Messiah. But nevertheless, this invitation would be rescinded from the people of that day, the Jews of that day, and the invitation will be given, or should I even say expanded to others. And this is the gospel reaching as far as unto the Gentile nations. But we understand that once again, in the future, the uh, invitation will be offered to another generation of Jews, another generation of Jewish leaders, and they will receive Jesus. But back again to chapter 22. And so they continued on with the questions that we began to see concerning with the tribute to Caesar or even the dealing with the resurrection from the dead, the questioning of the Sadducees from Jesus. And then Jesus finally answered or should I even say presented a question to them concerning the Messiah, the true person and the nature of the Messiah. If he is indeed the son of David, then how can David speak to him in the spirit before his incarnation, before his birth? That is, Jesus was implying that the Messiah was more than just a man. Of course, he is indeed God, God 
with us. Okay, but that pretty much covers chapter 22. And as I said to you guys earlier, remember that the focus that we have been seeing is upon the religious leaders. These leaders who have just been questioning Jesus concerning his rightful authority to what he was doing and whether or not he is the Messiah and all of that, which of course we know they rejected Jesus as Messiah, but nevertheless, in all of their questioning of Jesus, now as we get into chapter 23, Jesus turns the table. No more questions will there be to Jesus, but now Jesus will begin to condemn the religious leaders of his time. Okay, so with that, let's simply just get into chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Okay. So now let's look at this section here. We have the upbraiding of the leadership by Jesus and I am doing, I'm going to do my best. Try not to preach, but nevertheless, this is indeed applicable to many so-called preachers, teachers, pastors today, but getting back to the text, what Jesus noticed what he, as he begins to upbraid the leaders, who he specifies verse number one, number one. Okay. He is talking to the crowds and his disciples. So that's the primary thing talking to the crowds and his disciples. So this is a lesson for them to take heed to and observe, listen to Jesus words and do these things to, to the crowd and his disciples. But as I was simply saying, who was he talking about? Scribes and the Pharisees. The reason why I bring this up is notice there is uh, Jesus did not mention the Sadducees. The Sadducees, as I told you earlier, were over the temple. They were the group from the which the priests came from. But nevertheless, the Sadducees were not the teachers of the people the Pharisees and the scribes considered they were the teachers of the common people. So therefore, since the Pharisees and scribes were the teachers of the people, Jesus here begins to address 
not so much as them right here. He's going to do that later, but he's talking about them as he talks to the crowds. And what does he say? The first thing is that, and notice that they have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Verse number two, it uses here. I don't know why they translated this in a reflexive sense, but the verb is simply an error sense, simply as we would call it in general, a past tense type notice of a verb. So here it simply says the Pharisees and scribes are seated. They, they are seated in the seat of Moses. That's simply Jesus talking about concerning the seat of Moses, the seat of authority. And so therefore, since they have the authority to teach and the authority to render judgment according to the law. They have this divine authority given by God. Notice what Jesus says. Therefore, all that they tell you to do, do it and observe it. So Jesus is teaching the people, even though the religious leaders themselves, as Jesus is going to get into, are hypocritical and disobedient to the law itself. Nevertheless, Jesus is not teaching an abrogation of authority. Jesus is teaching them to respect authority and to obey their leaders. That is to respect the authority and obedience to the leaders in as much as what they are telling them is according to the law of Moses. So that's what he is simply saying not blindly follow leaders and blindly be obedient to all that those who are in leadership say and tell us to do, but to follow them as they speak in accordance to the word of God. And that's the point of Jesus. But nevertheless, the general idea of what Jesus is simply saying is to respect the spiritual authority of these men. But nevertheless, although their spiritual authority is respected in what they say to do in accordance to the law, do not do as they themselves do. So here Jesus begins to highlight the hypocritical nature of these Pharisees and scribes. And that's the problem of Jesus. And he deals with that. Notice these very leaders who have been questioning Jesus, these very leaders who are yet standing by and listening to Jesus. He speaks to the crowd concerning these leaders as the leaders are looking at Jesus. Okay. But nevertheless, he deals with the hip hypocritical nature. Then he talks about the burdens that they place upon men. There have been some confusions about a number of commentators and authors concerning this, but in a nutshell, the burdens is not the law of Moses because this was the requirement of God. The law of Moses is not the burden that the Pharisees are placing upon the people because remember the whole point is that Jesus just made what they tell you to do, do and observe. That is according to the law, do and observe. But the burden of these Pharisees, as we told you in past teachings in the book of Matthew, were all of these additional rules, the traditions of the elders and things of that nature. So all of these additional rules that they placed upon the people, these became a burden 
And Jesus said, and even without mercy, they refused to even lift up a finger to even lift any of these burdens and requirements that they themselves were placing on the people. Not the law of Moses, additional rules. Like remember, we talked about such things as additional rules concerning the keeping of the Sabbath, additional rules as concerning the washing of the hands and things of that nature, or what is threshing, working on the Sabbath. All of these rules that they placed upon the people were actually, or had actually become a burden to the people. And then con continuing in highlighting the hypocritical nature, no Notice what he says, the primary wrongness of the Pharisees, their primary wrongness is all that they were doing in their so-called righteous acts. They were not doing it so that they might be righteous towards God. They were doing all of these righteous acts so that they could be noticed by men. And that was the problem for righteousness should always come from within with the intent that God himself respects your righteousness. Not that men can look at whatever you're doing and simply praise you because can I say it this way? You more saver than anybody else. And that's pretty much the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. You're doing it to be noticed by men. And he gave a couple of examples. One was dealing with the phylacteries, which was simply the leather box that was worn on the forehead or the left arm. And they had scriptures of the Old Testament law inside of those things. But notice what he said concerning the Pharisees. They wore those phylacteries, those, <clears throat> those leather boxes really big on their head. And then those tassels, which were the, uh, the little thread lines that would hang from the clothing of Jewish men. They would have these tassels, four of them. Instead of them having just normal tassels, they would be really long so that people would notice them. So they have the boxes large on their head and the tassels long, all of them to catch the attention of people so that people would perceive and be, begin to believe that these Pharisees were more righteous because, because of their outwardness of things. Okay. Then he continues on to talk about their hypocrisy and inner degrading of spirituality inside. They were no good. Now he's going to talk about that even later on, but nevertheless dealing with the pride in the heart. And you guys know, if you've been listening to me for any time period, if there is one thing that I always want to make all of us aware of, it's the ugliness of pride that we all have. Be aware of the pride and the resistance and the rebellion against God's word in your own heart. But anyway, so what does he say? Dealing with the issue of pride, they love the place of honor at banquets and love chief seats in the wherever they can go and get the recognition. And when they people will greet them in the marketplace. Yes, rabbi, rabbi. So you can imagine them loving that in a similar sense, like preachers 
Reverend this, doctor this. We love those type of greetings today. And so Jesus began to upbraid them saying, do not be called rabbi. Now I want to talk about exactly what he means when he says, don't be called rabbi for one is your rabbi. He is not so much as simply saying, do not be called rabbi, but he is centering on the point, as he said in verse number eight, you are all brothers. Do not be called teachers. In other words, don't strive for position. And remember, we talked about that earlier when two of the disciples came to Jesus seeking places of honor, one to sit on his right hand and on his left hand. And what did Jesus say? The Gentiles love to lord over one another, but it will not be this way amongst you. Here is the same principle that Jesus is teaching once again when he says, don't be called rabbi and do not be called teacher. He said, for even one is your rabbi, one is your teacher, that is the Lord himself. So if there is any honor and glory that we ought to give, what does the scripture say? Let he who glory Glory in the Lord. All praises are due to Jesus for he has done all things well. But as far as we are concerned, if we shall be great, notice what Jesus says, but the greatest among you shall be servant of all the mentality of those who have been spiritually gifted and spiritually blessed. The mentality is to seek to be servants, not to seek to be served, not to seek to be honored. So Jesus is teaching that we and the Pharisees of his day, what they should not do and what the sin of the Pharisees was, which is what we should not do is seek positions of power for the sake of being honored. But we need to recognize that when God, and notice what I just said, God has blessed us with a certain number of gifts. Those gifts are not for our own personal glory. Those gifts are for the service of others. And then Jesus gives that deafening reminder. Why? For the one who exalts himself in the end shall be humble. And that's exactly what the sin of the Pharisees are. Constantly seeking to exalt themselves. They in the end will be humble. And the one who humbles himself in the end, in the time when the Lord restores all things, he will be exalted. And so Jesus is speaking against the exalted view and the manner in which the Pharisees and scribes desired the people to treat them. And there are a number of examples that I could give you guys. For example, they would even say, if the disciple, remember they, the, first of all, the disciples of the Pharisees, they like to call them father. That's why Jesus said, 
Call no man your father, for one who is in heaven is your father. But they like that greeting, exalted greeting of the disciples calling them father. And even in another sense, they would simply say, say, for instance, if their father or their literal father fell into debt or there was some uh, situation into which their father was in trouble and the rabbi was in trouble, See to the knees of the rabbi before your own flesh and blood father. And this was contrary to the law of Moses. But nevertheless, this goes to highlight the example of what Jesus was speaking about concerning these Pharisees, how they love the exalted positions, whether they go to the synagogue, whether they're in the marketplace or how they're being addressed or treated by their disciples. And Jesus said this attitude is wrong and sinful and should never be present among his own people. What is the mindset of us? Our mindset is a mindset of service. Seek to serve and not be served. Okay, enough said about that. Now let's continue on. Remember what Jesus just did. He was just speaking to the crowd and his disciples about the primary problem with the Pharisees, speaking to the crowd, and that is the hypocrisy and the pride of the Pharisees. Now, as we continue on to the end of this chapter, and Jesus began to get into what we call the seven woes, and we'll talk about that as we work our way through it, he now turns around and begins to speak directly to the Pharisees and the scribes. And again, if you've been watching me for any time, I like that because of Jesus's directness. He didn't bite any bones. He didn't try to avoid it. Whatever he said, he said it to your face. He said he meant what he said and he said what he meant. In other words, with him, there was no guile. There was never any deceit found in Jesus's mouth. He spoke the truth and he spoke what he meant. But anyway, and in, in talking about all of that, let's simply continue with the text. So the video doesn't have to be longer than need be. Verse 13, doc, talking now directly to the Pharisees. But woe to you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. 
You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and him who sits on it. Okay, let's stop right there because that's a lot to even deal with. So as I just told you, now Jesus turns and directs his words directly to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he gives his uh, 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 um, diatribe, his upbraiding against them in what, we, what he call woes, woes unto you scribes and Pharisees. And again, notice what he says, you play actors on a stage. That's literally the definition of the word in Greek, hypocrite. But you hypocrite, and notice, let's talk about each one. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, you don't enter, and you keep them from entering. This deals with the messianic claims of Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes rejected Jesus as Messiah. And not only did they reject Jesus as Messiah, remembering Matthew chapter 12, what did they say about Jesus when he healed that man uh, uh, who was demon possessed? Jesus has a demon. They were influencing other people to believe that Jesus was demon possessed, thereby rejecting Jesus as Messiah. You don't enter the kingdom. You reject Jesus as Messiah and you shut up the kingdom from others. You influence other people to reject Jesus as Messiah and therefore they do not enter into the kingdom. And then verse 14. Now verse 14 has a sense of uniqueness. Why? And I'm not going to get into a lot of details in it. But I just simply say this verse 14 is not in some of your older Greek manuscripts. And for this reason, verse 14 probably was not originally in the book of Matthew and was later on added. And this was simply probably because in the book of Mark and Luke, this idea in a composite form is in the book of Mark and Luke and is somewhat expanded here as we have it in the book of Matthew and called the woe. But nevertheless, whether or not it was originally found in Matthew or not, let me just simply talk about what it means. Again, it is another woe of Jesus in dealing with the widows and how they 
misuse and abuse widows. Now, you have to take all of that into consideration because the widows were usually people who didn't have a lot of money because their husbands were dead and they didn't have a lot of income coming in whatsoever. But nevertheless, the Pharisees were abusing these widows in a religious sense, making long prayers so that they can get money from these particular widows. And Jesus was simply saying they will receive great condemnation because of their abuse of this particular group of people, these poor widows. Okay. Then in verse 15, he gives another woe and talks about how they were engaged in evangelism. Notice they travel sea and land to make a proselyte. A proselyte is a Gentile convert to Judaism. And Jesus said, but once they actually make the proselyte, they make him twofold a child of hell greater than themselves. And what he simply means is this. Once they have won this particular Gentile convert to Judaism by all of their additional rules. Remember the rules that we said later on will become the Mishnah. But all of these additional rules made by the Pharisees and the scribes not found in the law of Moses, but man-made traditions created by these scribes. They begin to bind this proselyte with telling him they need to keep that. And in doing this, instead of creating a proselyte that would enter into the kingdom of heaven, they create a proselyte that ends up going into hell himself. Why? Because he doesn't know the way. The Pharisees did not know and teach the way, and therefore their converts do not know the way. Becomes twofold the child of hell. Then Jesus began to pronounce judgment, continuing with another woe about their making of oaths. That's what he means when he talks about those who swear. Notice in the example that Jesus gave, swearing by the gold that is in the temple, swearing by the sacrifice that is on the altar and things of that nature. But the whole point that Jesus is saying is this, they are confused as to the relevance of what is more important. It is not the gold that is important. It is the, the temple where the gold is inside the temple that sanctifies the gold. It is not so much the offering that is the most important thing, but the, the, the sacrifice the, that the offering is upon. So it is not so much as the offering. It is not so much as the goal, but the altar. So in other words, Jesus telling them, you are confused in the manner in which you are making oaths, making an oath by the thing that is not important. The gold is not what is important, but the temple. So if a person would sweat, okay, let me, okay, slowing it down so you can understand what they were doing. So if they made an oath to do something, you are obligated to do what you say if you swear by the gold. But say for instance, if a person swear by the temple, this was a way of them creating an out. You don't have to be obligated to keep your words because why? He swore by the temple, but had he sworn by the gold in the temple, then he has to do what he says. In the same sense, he swore by the offering. 
it, so, but if it, I'm sorry, he swore by the altar, but if he swore by the offering on the altar, then he is obligated to keep his word. Jesus is saying you are confused. It's the temple that is of greater importance because what it sanctifies makes holy the gold. It is the altar that is more important. Why? It is the altar that sanctifies, makes worthy the offering that is upon the altar. And so then, then he just simply continues on and talks about in greater detail, swearing, if you swear, you swear by the temple and not just only the temple, but he who resides in the temple. If you swear, Understand that you swear by heaven, you not only swear by heaven, but he who sits on the throne in heaven, even God. So, but the point of it all is the Pharisees in their hypocritical nature was simply trying to create an out. And when I, what I mean by an out is to make a promise and then to go back on that promise. That was, that's what it means by to swear. So by saying that I swear by the, by the temple, they could get out and therefore say, well, I don't have to keep that because I swear, swore by the temple. Had I sworn by the goal, then I have to keep my word. So I don't have to keep my word. So Jesus is simply dealing with the hypocritical nature of the Pharisees in making vows that they had no intention of keeping in the first place. Okay. Enough said about that. Now let's continue. Verse number 23 in the woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill, cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faith. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out at a net and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of, boy, he is tearing them apart. First clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Okay, let's stop there and deal with this section of woes. And boy, let me tell you something. Jesus is tearing them up. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there or standing, whichever one, most likely he was probably sitting because as a teacher, rabbinic teacher, they would sit and the people would stand. Imagine Jesus sitting there and the Pharisees right there. And he's saying these things to them. He is tearing them out the frame, but go to the verses. 23. Then he begins to talk about the issue of not understanding the things that are more important. 
railing against them on that, dealing with the tithing, because what the Pharisees would tithe things as it was in the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus, the 10th, they would tithe. They would be so scrupulous in their tithing. They would tithe even mint deal, even the smallest of seeds, the smallest of plant. They would be ever so careful to make certain that they took a tenth out of it. Take one for God, nine for me. One of this for, for God, nine. So careful, but when it came to the things that were most important, things like what? Notice what Jesus says, justice, being merciful to people, being faithful themselves. These are truly things that are important and should have never been overlooked. These are the very things that the Pharisees lacked. These are the things that they overlooked. And Jesus simply says, now concerning the tithing, and they were very scrupulous in doing that. Indeed, it is right that they should have tithed as the law commands, but what was wrong was how they overlooked even the more weightier things, important things. And that's why he called them blind guys. They themselves do not see, they themselves do not understand the true nature of what's important in the law. As they are blind, then he called them guys. Even though they are blind, they still insist on being the teachers of others, being called rabbi, being called teacher, being called father. They still insist on seeing themselves as the leaders, the religious and spiritual leaders of others. You blind God. And notice what Jesus said. You strain at a net, something ever so small. You are looking at it so conspicuously. That's the tithing of the mint and the cumin and anise that Jesus was taught. The small little things straining at a net. And yet you swallow a huge camel. That's the neglect that Jesus was talking about. The neglect of the weightier things. What? Faithfulness, mercy, and justice. Those things in the law that you really need to give consideration to. That's the camel that they swallowed and ignored. And then he continued on with another woe in the external things of the Pharisees. Notice we're talking about you clean the outwardness of the cup. And again, here Jesus is not so much talking about cups itself, but he's talking about presentation and inward cleanliness. Again, going all the way back. Remember when he says this concerning the phylacteries? how they enlarged their phylacteries. And what did he say about their seat seat? The seat seat simply is uh, uh, the four tassels. The they made long their tassels. In other words, things that the Pharisees did outwardly to be seen of men as righteous. But what was the problem? That's, that's the cleaning of the cup. It is the cleaning of the outwardness of the cup. When others looked at it, the cup looked 
clean. But what was the problem? But inwardly, inside, they are full of what? Robbery and self-indulgence inside of you. You are no good. You try to project a picture to the people that you are righteous religious leaders, but truly inside of you is full of corruption. And Jesus will expand this idea of outside versus inside outside projection as righteousness inside. Truly you are morally corrupt and decrepit. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. The difference is what you should be from the inside. And that's why he would say, get the inside straight. And then what the outside will be all right. <laughs> you blind Pharisee, what clean the inside of the cup so that all together the dish that is get yourself together from within clean up the corruption from within. If you are in good shape with God who sees your inside, you don't have to worry about how it will be projected from the outside. Cause if the inside of you is in good shape, then the outside of you will be in good shape. If the inside of the cup is clean, outside will also be clean. Then he continues on in dealing with the whole thing inside versus outside. Outside projecting to the people as righteous, inside you ain't righteous at all in dealing with the thing concerning whitewash tomb. Now, what you got to understand is this, before the times of the Passover, before the Passover, all right, remember the Jewish people would have the Passover, they would have graves. Graves would be uh, uh, in different places throughout so that people could recognize the graves. Okay, because this is during the Passover season. Recognize the graves, they would have a person come and lime wash those tombstones. And when they lime wash the tombstones, the tombstones would be white and the appearance to the eye would be pretty. So it would be beautiful because the tombstones are freshly washed. So it looked pretty, but don't get it confused, even though they look pretty because they're nice and washed. And the reason why they washed them was so that people would not inadvertently, unknowingly walk on top of the grave because to, it was considered to walk on top of the grave would make a person unclean. And if the person was unclean, they could not eat or celebrate the Passover. And this is why they whitewashed those tombs so that the tombs could be visibly recognized and the people could avoid walking on them and therefore making themselves ceremonially unclean, unable to eat the Passover. But even though these tombs were washed, whitewashed, they appeared beautiful. And Jesus compared the Pharisees to these tombs, even though you in your outward projection of righteousness, just like those whitewashed tombs, white projected and appeared beautiful, appeared righteous, never forget indeed what they are. 
even though white and appearing pretty, look inside, go underneath. And what would you find? A dead, putrefying and rotten body, which made such a one unclean. And thus were the Pharisees, although they projected this whitewashedness, they indeed were these tombs. Why? Because inside, just like he talked about the cup, inside the cup was full of uncleanness and inside underneath these whitewashed tombs were these putrefying, dead, stinking, unclean bodies. Can you imagine? Boy, he is ripping them apart. Outside, you look all right unto men, but inside, you ain't. And I like to say ain't. That's what I'm doing my preaching on that part. You ain't no good at all. And you can imagine how the Pharisees and probably just getting harder and harder. And boy, they probably want to kill him right there on the spot. But of course, what? The Bible would say again and again, they won't lay hands on him. Why? They feared the people. But anyway, let's continue on. Where are we now? Verse number 28, uh, 29, I'm sorry. I, I hope I did 28, but just in case when he said, so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me deal with that just in case. That is like the whitewashed tomb appear uh, righteous. The uh, tomb appeared white and beautiful. You appear uh, that you are keeping the truth, keeping righteousness with God, but truly inside of you, hypocrisy, no good, and lawlessness. The truth of the matter is, you are not obedient to the law of Moses like you try to appear that you are before the people, okay? Now with that, let's move to 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Okay, so now let's deal with Jesus's final woe, the seventh woe. I know if you count the woes in Matthew eight, but actually seventh woe, why again, verse 14, Probably not in the original manuscript, but final woe. Notice what he begins to say. 
They are saying that they build up the tomb of the prophets. And okay, what we're going on is this, the tombs of the prophets who had been killed by previous generation, they are adorning those tombs and they are, uh, they are literally celebrating those prophets that were of old and they are saying, had it been us and we been alive at that time, we would not have joined in with our fathers in the murder of the prophets. And so what they're doing is trying to feel good about themselves, simply saying, we wouldn't have done what they did. What Jesus did was literally flip the script in simply saying, oh, so now you admit you are sons of those who kill. So in other words, instead of them escaping responsibility, Jesus ties the responsibility on their neck by saying, you're the sons of those who killed the prophet. And that's what Jesus is simply doing. And so he begins to say, then fill up the full measure because, and what does he mean by that? The, their fathers killed the prophets and what these very religious leaders, notably here, Pharisees and scribes, what they themselves would do is in like manner, they will kill the Messiah. They will be responsible for delivering Jesus over to the Gentiles with the intent of having Jesus killed. And this will be the ultimate expression of death to those whom God sends by killing as their fathers have killed the prophets sent unto them. That generation in Jesus day, the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus was talking to, they themselves will fill up the measure of their fathers. They will be responsible for the death of Jesus, the Messiah. And this will fill up that full measure of judgment unto them. And so then Jesus, and notice again, he called, and I like this, you serpents, you brood of vipers. It is just impossible for you to escape the sentence, the judgment of hell. They are so bent. They are so absolute in their rejection of Jesus. It also seals their judgment, which is hell itself. It is impossible to escape hell because can I say it this way? They are hell bent on destroying Jesus, just like their fathers were hell bent in destroying the prophets. This generation Pharisees that Jesus is talking to is hell bent in destroying him. And therefore their judgment becomes what unavoidable. Then in verse number 34, Jesus speaks prophetically and you need to see that I am sending to you notice wise men and prophets and things of that nature. And here's where Jesus is talking about his own emissaries, the apostles, because what we will see in the book of Acts, I think chapter 12, James will be killed. We'll see in Acts chapter seven and eight, what Stephen will be killed. So, 
we'll see what also the persecution of the disciples, the persecution of John. That's the whole idea. I send unto you wise men and prophets and of that nature. And some of them you will kill. That's what Jesus is speaking. In other words, so that you'll see it clearly. When Jesus died, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven. What did he say in the final commission that he gives? Even in Matthew chapter 28, he says unto his disciples, go into the whole world, make disciples of all nations. What happened? We see this early in the book of Acts. What happened? There is from the leadership. What did I just say again? There is from the leadership continued rejection of Jesus's apostles and his disciples. There is from the leadership. What? Continued persecution, even unto death by the leaders of the people. So we see this even after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And this is what he's talking about. So that what from the death of the first one. Now he talks about Hebrew scripture from the first righteous man in scripture that is able until the death of the last righteous man in Hebrew scripture. The last book of Hebrew scripture is second Chronicles. It's not like in our Bible Malachi, but in Hebrew scriptures is second Chronicle. And the last death is Zechariah. Okay. Jesus called him here, Zechariah, son of Barakiah. So from the first until the last death, culminating, this will be a judgment upon, notice what Jesus says, this generation. Okay, what Jesus is simply saying is this, bringing in from, he said, when our fathers, this is what they were patting themselves on the back, killed the prophets, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. Jesus brings all of it in from the very first death of the righteous one, even to the death of the very last one in their Bible, in second Chronicles, culminating even in the ultimate sense with the death of Jesus as Messiah, okay? Then what happens? Jesus ascends into heaven. He sends his people out. What do they do? They persecute and kill them. So the ultimate persecution, the ultimate killing, what does Jesus say? This generation that is responsible for these things, the ultimate killing of Jesus and his disciples, you will pay a price for these things. And the price is the judgment, as we've been saying again and again and again, and this is what Matthew emphasizes again and again and again. The judgment of 70 AD because of the rejection of Jesus and ultimately the killing of Jesus and the persecution of Jesus's apostles, rejection of Jesus as Messiah by that generation specifically specifically the leaders, because notice what Jesus is talking about it, all the way starting from chapter 21, especially in chapters 22 and 23, he's dealing with the leaders of the people. This you must keep in mind because of this, that generation will be judged a special judgment, 
a very destructive judgment. 70 AD Titus, Rome destroys Jerusalem because of these things, because of their rejection of Jesus and their mistreatment of his apostles, those sent by him. And that's what it means. Truly, I say unto you, all these things will come upon this this generation, Jesus's generation, the Jesus, that, the generation that rejected Jesus and had him crucified. OK, and mistreated his apostles. Let's close the chapter. Thirty seven. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I like that. Okay. So he begins to lament over Jerusalem because of her upcoming destruction. So what does he say? He speaks of his desire like a mother hen wanted to gather her small little bitty chicks under her wings for protection. Jesus said, I came to you. I presented myself to you as Messiah. I presented myself to you as king. I wanted to be your king and your Messiah and presenting myself as this to you, I desired you like a, like these small baby chicks would do at the call of the mother. They should run under the caring wings of the mother. Oh, how I wanted to take care of you, Jerusalem, and be your king and be your Messiah. Remember, pointedly to the leaders, pointedly to the leaders. But what? You rejected me as your Messiah. You rejected me as your king. Therefore, because of your rejection of me, what is the response of God? What is the end result of your rejection of me? Killing me, mistreatment of those whom I will send. I leave your house unto you desolate again. What? 70 AD destruction by Rome judgment upon the leaders judgment upon Jerusalem judgment upon the people of Israel. Why the people of Israel? Because their leaders rejected Jesus and mistreated his disciples as Messiah and they influenced the people to reject Jesus as Messiah. So therefore judgment is reserved unto the nation. And notice what Jesus does. He leaves a glimmer of hope into the future. He says these things. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you will not see Jesus come again until you change your mind. Remember, I keep saying unto you how this is pointed specifically at the leaders because why? The leaders influence the people. So therefore, as the leaders go, 
so will the people. So the day will come when the leaders, Jesus is saying, until you leaders receive me as Messiah and King, until that day come, you will not see my face ever again. Or in other words, that's what it means when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As I told you earlier, notice this hints back to Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus came riding on the donkey. What did they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the welcome of what will be used to welcome the Messiah. So Jesus is saying to the leaders specifically because the leaders will influence the people. Until the leaders believe and welcome me as the Messiah, I will not return again. So until they welcome him and receive him as Messiah, Jesus will not come to them again. This lets us uh, see because I'm struggling now. So let me go ahead and tell you what I'm struggling with. The second advent, and I don't want to get into a lot of details on this, but the second advent, the return of Jesus is not based upon the church welcoming him because first of all, the church would be caught up in the rapture before the second advent. Okay. But specifically Jesus will return in the second advent as stated here and also in the book of Hosea, in the book of Hosea, when the leaders of the people acknowledge their sin, also stated in the book of Zechariah, I think chapter 12, when they grieve for Jesus as, a only, as an only son, they grieve because of their once rejection of Jesus as Messiah. They will look on him whom they have peers. When the people begin to say, you know what? Jesus of Nazareth, whom mostly Gentile folk used to talk about, mostly whom we as Jews did not believe. Indeed, Jesus was the Messiah. When the leaders of the people come to this realization, understanding and acceptance of Jesus, when they themselves say, we now believe in Jesus and they will lead the people to also accept Jesus and believe in Jesus. That is the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders will believe and the Jewish leaders will reverse what they did and influence the people to believe and accept Jesus as Messiah. When they do that, and welcome Jesus as Messiah, then will be the second advent, which will take place at the end of the tribulation. That is the leaders who will influence the people in this way will do these things at the end of the tribulation. That's when they will go into this great fast spoken of by Zechariah. I'm sorry, I can't get into it with great detail. It is great fast this great prayer where each family will separate themselves, fast and pray 
in the book of Hosea, they were fulfilled in the calling for Jesus for two days. And it would be on that third day that Jesus will break the clouds of heaven and return when the Jewish people led by the Jewish leaders will ask Jesus to return. When they say unto Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, until you receive me as Messiah, you won't see my face again in offering to be your Messiah and King until that day. And all those things that I just said unto you concerning when they pray, when they fast, when they grieve and believe in Jesus, Zechariah and Hosea, at the end of the tribulation, those things will begin to take place, okay? All right, now what did we just see? An upbraiding of those, of the, the leaders, specifically the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, those very leaders who were testing Jesus that we saw in Matthew chapter 22. Now that we have just dealt with that, we end this particular section that concludes with what? From chapters 21, 22, and 23, presentation of king and testing of the lamb. We conclude that particular uh, section and we, we move, we prepare to move into chapter 24 where Jesus will begin to speak prophetically about the end time. That is when he shall return. What will be the nature of things? What will be the condition of the world? And what should his people expect things to be like for the times of the end? So join me next time when we get into Matthew chapter 24 and we deal with those prophetic issues spoken from the mouth of our Lord. See you then.